0: Time for a microcoligo! In a microcoligo, I explore a previously reported on state in a smaller format, bringing to light more cases and telling the stories of more victims. Small town America. One stoplight and that's it. You can get dinner at the local diner, pass a gas station, small store, and a funeral home, and then you're out of city limits. This is how Ina, Illinois is. Nothing really happens there, and families can feel safe. Until one day, everything changes. This is the story of the Dardeen family murders. Russell and Ruby Dardeen had just moved to town a year earlier and owned a mobile home on the outskirts of the city. They go by their middle names, Keith and Elaine. They had a three-year-old son named Peter. Keith worked at the local water treatment plant and Elaine at a supply store. The couple was actively involved in a tiny Baptist church, and Keith was a lead singer in the choir, and Elaine played the piano. Life was drama-free in the small town, but there was excitement. Elaine was seven months pregnant with a baby girl, who would be named Cassie. But Keith was concerned. He told his family in Mount Carmel, 80 miles away, that he wanted to move. The area had become violent recently, with 15 homicides in the rural Jefferson County. In the two previous years. They put their trailer up for sale. Joanne Dardine had just spent the weekend with her son and Elaine. It was odd. We'd usually end up talking about murders. I know you might think it's crazy, Joanne said. We were really into murder cases, you know, and things happening to people. Joanne sensed that Keith was worried about something. She just didn't know what. He told her that he wanted to move by January. He said, there's just too many things happening down here, Joanne said. And then came November 17th of 1987. Keith failed to show up for work on his night shift and nobody could reach his family. Concerned, his parents contacted the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department and headed south with a key to the trailer. Police met them at the scene. Keith's car was missing and they went inside. What they saw was terrible. Elaine was sexually mutilated and bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat. So was her son Peter and baby Cassie, who was due in just two months, who had arrived during the beating, and she too did not survive. There was no sign of Keith, police immediately started searching the trailer. There was no forced entry, nothing was missing, Cash and Julia were laying out in the open, but the crime scene had another twist, Elaine, Peter, and Cassie were tucked in nicely in their beds. The police and family asked, where was Keith? A manhunt and sued as Keith was clearly the number one suspect. Keith was a real stand-up guy, recalled his lifelong friend Kevin Davis, who was living in Colorado when the police tracked him down right after the killings. When they first came to me and said that they were looking for him because they thought he might have murdered Elaine, I said there was no way. That's not even possible. Davis was right. A day later, hunters found Keith's body in a wheat field, a mile away from the family home. He also was sexually mutilated and had been shot three times in the face. The county coroner determined that all the family members were killed within an hour of each other. It's unknown who was killed first. The family's car was still missing, but not for long. The next day, it was found ten miles south, splattered with blood. Was it burned? or hidden deep in the woods, out of sight of police? No. The killer or killers drove and parked the car right in front of the Benton Police Department, next door to the Franklin County Courthouse. 30 detectives worked at the case full-time. They interviewed over a 100 people and tracked down more than a 1,000 leads, but came up empty. Nearly 150 evidentiary items were labeled. Many of them were sent to labs for multiple tests. DNA samples remain from the victims, but none from suspects. Jefferson County has shared their files with the FBI cold case unit because the bodies of Keith and Elaine were sexually mutilated. They brought in a brought in an expert on cults. More than 20 thick binders labeled Dardine labeled Dardine exist on the case. Now the case rests in the lap of Captain Bobby Wallace. To me, when you solve a cold case, it's going to be more from the evidence than the people, Wallace said. And the people have lots of theories. Down the street from the Dardeen trailer is Bonnie's Cafe where the breakfast is all you can eat for $9. There the locals have never forgotten. Lonnie Broadway was has lived in the area his entire life. A lot of people talked about it, but they don't know what they are talking about. They just knew it happened, but they didn't know why, Broadway said. They still don't know why. They never will. Wallace is the fourth person to hold the massive files. He's heard all the theories. From what I've seen of something that serious, I would think that one or two things had come to mind just personally, Wallace said. Would either A send a clear message to somebody or it was extremely personal bill reed grew up with keith you just don't find people to say i don't like him that guy did me wrong in any way reed said as long as it's been sometimes i think about it and wonder was this a strong message being sent to someone else nearly 30 years later davis still feels the pain i was the best man at their wedding and to find out that years later they had been brutally murdered And yet to find out that we are not any closer to really solving this than we were after it happened, it's very disturbing. Joanne will be 84 soon, and she hopes and prays that she will live long enough to find closure. I believe someone wanted him to do something, and I believe that he flat out refused, and well, you do it our way or no way, Joanne said. No suspects were identified. There were few leads in the case. Years went by. And then came along. Tommy Lynn Sells Sells was convicted of murdering a 13-year-old Kayleen Harris in Del Rio, Texas in 1999 by slitting her throat during the same attack he slit the throat of a 10-year-old Crystal Surleys but she survived just a child she helped the police make a composite sketch of the killer picked Sells out of a lineup and testified against him in court but that was just the beginning for cells he claimed that he had killed up to 70 people throughout the country they said his nickname was coast to coast the authorities found out that two dozen of his claims were accurate although he was known to embellish embellish his accounts he was indeed a serial killer but later admitted to fabricating some of the stories but soon agencies from every state wanted to see if cells had ever visited their fine towns in hopes of clearing cold cases from their books. Had he ever been to Illinois? Sure. Did he know anything about the Ina murders and the Dardine family? Then Tommy Sell started singing. With the tale of meeting Keith at a truck stop, then changing the story to a pool hall, claiming he invited Keith invited him over to his house for dinner and a sexual rendezvous, with both Dardins, Dardines. the police pressed for details. Never made public about the murders, Sells answered incorrectly. And he blurted out the correct. Then he blurted out the correct responses. Police felt that he had answers to all the details that had already been made public, but was guessing on the ones that hadn't been. Sells offered to go to Ina and walk police through the crime scene, but he was already on death row in Texas and state laws forbid prisoners from being removed from the state. Until he started confessing, investigators of the Dardine case had never heard of the name Tommy Lynn Sells, but there was a little but very big problem with Sells' confession, the watermelon. Sells described a set of watermelon ceramics inside the Dardine home. John Kemp of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office had heard enough. He provided us with the information that only the investigators knew. Sheriff Roger Mulch felt the same. In our minds, we had f- enough confidence to believe that he did it. Bill Clutter of Investigating Innocence was granted a jailhouse interview with Sells. Clutter went to Texas while investigating other cases that might be linked to Sells. While there, the Dardine murders came up. Sells told me that those victims were targeted, and that if they searched in the woods near the trailer they would have found a pile of beer cans where he had waited and watched i believe he went into the trailer took control of ruby and the three-year-old son duct-taped their hands and waited for keith to come home for clutter the watermelon ceramics sealed the case for him to know that he had for him to know that he had to have been inside the house clutter said i am convinced that he is the darn killer that one detail he was able to give. Law enforcement officials believed that they had solved the case and that Sells was the killer but the Jefferson County State's Attorney after considering all the evidence declined to charge Sells saying that there was too many inconsistencies between what he claimed and the actual facts. 14 years after claiming he killed the Dardine family Tommy Lynn Sells was put to death in 2014. He was 49 years old, and it was 22 years after the Dardines were murdered. I'm glad I finally got caught, Sells says. I was tired of doing this. So who was Tommy Lynn Sells? Why were the Dardines murdered in such a savage fashion? And were there really watermelon ceramics in the Dardine home? Sells grew up in southeast Missouri. He told police that he began drinking when he was seven was molested at 8, and started doing drugs at 10. He claims he tried to rape his mother at 13, and his family moved without telling him at 14. He says his killing spree began at the age of 15, and at 17, cells moved to St. Louis area to live with some relatives. Records show that he lived in O'Fallon, then Edmondson. By his 20s, he says that he was a heavy drinker and drug user, and later began drifting the country as a carnival worker. In the 1980s, police sources had tracked his movements running drugs from Florida to Indiana. Sells would later recant his statements to police about how he met Keith Dardine. Those were curveballs, he said later would later say, meant to steer police from the real reason he wound up in their trailer in Ina. Organized crime. Remember the Dardine car parked in the police department and courthouse miles from the crime scene? Federal prosecutors had recently concluded that a large drug conspiracy trial at the co- courthouse. Sells says somewhere, somehow, someone connected to Keith Dardine, a church-going singer who worked for the town's water treatment plant and lived in a trailer, was connected to a massive drug conspiracy trial. To that, there are no answers except Sells said it eventually involved him. Clutter says he still gets chills when he remembers when Sells told him that Keith, about Keith when the topic turned to the drug tile. trial. When you step in the ballpark, you better be ready to play. You bring yourself down, your wife down, even your kids. He's lucky it stopped at his family. Keith, Elaine, Peter, and Cassie rest peacefully at the Graceland Cemetery near Albuin. Bobby Wallace is back looking over old case files, and Joanne Dardine looks at family pictures and prays. This is a story of the Dardine family murders and how some watermelon ceramics helped to potentially solve the case. Thank you and have a good night. Bye! Thank you for joining us on our journey to explore true crime from coast to coast. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a review and join us for our next episode, where we will be traveling into the darkness of our next location. Until next time, always remember to stay vigilant and safe.